Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast. I am Autumn, the older sister. And my fact of the day is that I miss my maternal grandmother. She passed a few years ago, and I miss her for a lot of reasons. But one of the main reasons I I really miss her is because I have nobody to share the joy with of getting a really good sale at the grocery store. Her and I would go on and on on the phone about how she had gotten a coupon on Campbell's Soup and combined it with a really awesome sale at the store, and she'd ended up getting the Campbell's Soup for 49 cents, and I'd be so impressed, and I'd come back with my story about the sale they had on Hamburger Helper. And we would be so excited about these things. But with her gone, I have nobody to share this joy with because nobody really cares when you save 29 cents on grocery items. I mean, you could still share it with me because I do distinctly remember when grandma would talk about it. If I wasn't completely zoned out, I would just be like, you're so cute. You're so excited about something so small. This is so cute. So you could share it with me. Sometimes I won't care. And sometimes I'll be like, look at you, cutie. Yeah. Anyway, I am Ivy, the younger sister. And my fact of the day is also about our maternal grandmother. And that fact is that I am pretty sure I learned how to socialize from my grandmother, which at the surface sounds awesome that somebody taught me how to socialize. But the problem is my grandma socialized with avoidance and running away as her her primary skills. There were lots of times that she would cross the street to avoid having to casually pass a random person and deal with the awkwardness of whether or not to say hello. And I also have a very distinct memory of being in the grocery store with my grandma when I was a small child. And there was a very charming and polite elderly gentleman that I am pretty sure in retrospect was hitting on my grandma. And that made her extremely uncomfortable. But my grandma was very polite and very anxious. So she kept being nice, but she also kept looking for excuses to get away from him. And basically, he just ended up following us throughout the entire store with my grandma getting increasingly more anxious and nervous and upset. And he didn't notice at all, I don't think. But I... I, I I think that's that's where I got my socialization skills because there are so many times when I am out in the world and in my casual social situations, I find myself reverting back to my grandmother. I am just like her in so many ways, even though we were never really close. Except for in the one way that counts, which is caring about other people's savings at the grocery store. No, I'm just kidding. I get that that's a whole thing. <laughs> So you may actually be wondering, why are we going on and on about our grandma bus today? Well, as you might expect, given that we often don't tie our facts in with the episode, it has nothing to do with our episode, but it does have to do with the fact that we are starting an audience participation contest, and it is named in honor of our grandma, and it is called the Grandma Bus Prize. So what is the Grandma Bus Prize contest all about? Basically, it's an audience participation contest, and we'll be having different types of this contest. But for our very first Grandma Bus Prize contest, we are asking our listeners to submit 
episode topic ideas. You can submit them either on social media or on our website. And if you um, submit topic ideas to us, you will be entered into a drawing to win the Grandma Bus Prize. If you're wondering what the Grandma Bus Prize is, well, it is going to be a random pre-owned mystery object. So that's right. If you contact us on social media or our website, you will be entered into a drawing to win a magnificent, amazing, random, pre-owned mystery object. And if you'd like more details as to why our grandmother is called Grandma Bus or why we are sending you a pre-owned mystery object in her honor, I encourage you to go check it out on our website, differentfunctional.com. There'll be a link at the top called the Grandma Bus Prize. You can get all the details there and you could also submit your episode topics. Now, for the segue that I think the Different Functional Podcast is so famous for, which is none at all, let's get into our topic of the day compulsions. It's those everyday compulsions that we all experience, whether we want to admit it or not. It's the things that our brains make us do or that try really, really hard to make us do. Some of them make a lot of sense and some of them are just really strange and make us worry a little bit about ourselves and what goes on inside our heads. To be clear, we are not talking about compulsions in the clinical sense of, you know, actual diagnosable issues like OCD. We are just talking about the general compulsions most, if not all, humans experience on some level. So now... We're going to jump right in because we have a lot of content. Because when Autumn and I were making the list of compulsions, we were like, shit, humans have a lot of compulsions. We have a lot of compulsions. I had some compulsions I didn't even know that I had. So we're going to jump in with task-related compulsions. I think a lot of us, especially in this productivity society, have a lot of compulsions around being productive or being busy or at least appearing that way. Doodling, being on your phone. Some people spell words in their head. They count. Sometimes this is related to anxiety. You're trying to avoid something. Sometimes it's just you feel like you need to be busy or you're trying to chase away boredom, but you feel compelled to do something. And I think hand in hand with task compulsions are efficiency compulsions because they're related to the tasks and trying to get a task done. I feel the need to be extremely efficient when I do anything. So for example, if I'm at work and I need to go to the bathroom, I feel compelled to sort out absolutely anything I could possibly do and route to the bathroom and back from the bathroom to my workstation so that I can be efficient. The problem with this, though, is sometimes I get so caught up in how I could maybe grab the boxes and swing by the bailer and while I'm there, talk to my supervisor and then get to the bathroom and on the way back past this area that I end up just about peeing myself because I'm delaying so long trying to go to the bathroom <laughs> because I can feel compelled to try to complete all tasks super efficiently. That is not something I struggle with. Uh, if anything, I have the opposite problem of that where I do not think about any of the, these things in order. When, when I go grocery shopping, it's a fucking nightmare for anybody who's with me because even if I have a list... I will not go through the grocery store in any sort of order. I will randomly wander and I'll get to one side of the grocery store and then I just end up on the other side of the grocery store and then back on the side that I was on because I randomly thought of a thing or my list wasn't in order. So I kind of envy you that you have that. My efficiency-related 
compulsion is the need to do things way sooner than they actually have to be done. Now, I am a procrastinator when it comes to deadlines and stuff, but the compulsion to do things before they need to be done applies to daily things like in traffic. I get super fucking anxious that I'm going to miss my turn or my exit especially if there's a lot of traffic. Cause I'm like, but if I don't get over now, I may not get an opportunity to get over later. Look at how congested that traffic is. There's a big pocket right here, 10 miles away from my turn, but I may never find another pocket. So I'm going to get into this little spot right here. And Calvin gets so mad at me. He's like, just go up to the front zipper merge. I'm like, I can't, there won't be a pocket. I won't be able to get over. I'm going to miss the exit. And then it's going to take me forever to find a spot to turn around. You know how easily I get lost. I feel like I have to do certain things way sooner than necessary, or I will never get another opportunity to do them again. I have that same thing. And I can't even blame it on Seattle traffic or anything. I, I live in a little 2000 person town. There's no traffic, but I still two miles ahead. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to turn in two miles. I better get over because... I, I don't know. Maybe the road will explode. I have no reason for this. I think there's other task compulsions a lot of us do. A really, really common one is proving you can do shit that other people do. So this, I think, has been happening since the dawn of civilization. But it has really caught on recently within the past few years because of social media, all those social media challenges. Part of that is belonging, but part of it is, I bet I could do that. They're doing that. I bet I could do that. I don't necessarily do it with the social media challenges, but I do feel like I do need to prove myself a lot. I'm getting better with it as I get older. But for example, if there was like a really heavy box, I would feel compelled to prove that I could lift it on my own because I saw somebody else come through and lift it. It doesn't matter that the other person was 300 pounds of pure muscle that could bench press a Volkswagen bug. I still need to prove somehow that I can do what they did. Sometimes it's not always about proving that you can do what other people did. Sometimes it's just proving that you're capable of doing that thing. How many of us out there will refuse to do more than one fucking trip between the car and our house after we do the grocery shopping? It could be 400 pounds of groceries. We're like, no, I got it. And you know what? I got it all with one hand. Watch me. We all have that. So I don't think it's always about proving you can do what other people do. I think sometimes it's just proving you can do the thing at all, even if it kills you you feel like you, you need to prove that you can do it. But one of the, the task-related things that I have as far as compulsions is not even about my own tasks. It's about watching other people with their tasks. And I don't even know why I have this because I am not somebody who generally goes out of my way to help other people. If they ask for help, I'll usually help out, but I don't go out of my way to do it. And yet if I see somebody doing a thing and I'm just standing there awkwardly, I feel compelled to help them even when no help is required. And this has come up in my relationship with Calvin so many times because he is a very competent, very capable, very skilled person. And he's always working on some sort of project. When he's working on stuff, I literally have to leave the room he's in or just leave him be. Because if I am standing there and he's working on some project on his car, he doesn't need my help. But if I'm standing there with nothing to do, I feel like I need to be useful and I need to help him. And then I just get in his way because I'm not doing anything helpful because I don't know anything about cars. I'm literally just underfoot. 
And then he gets mad at me. So now I just, if he starts working on a project, I just bail. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out because I'll just be annoying to you. I have that one too. Jake likes to work on motorcycles, which are even smaller, which means you can have even more opportunity to literally get in the way. So I'm all like, ooh, I'm going to see, what are we doing? How can I help? What are we doing? I said, what are we looking at? And it's like nothing but the back of your head because it's blocking what's behind <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kelvin will put up with it for a little while with me, uh, but then he gets really short-tempered. He's like, you're just in my way. Can you go away? And then I have to try really hard not to take it personally because it, it's not an insult. It's not an offensive thing. It's just I I literally can't be of service in those situations. I'm just making everything take longer. And sometimes I have actually fucked things up by attempting to do a small task I thought I could do that I was apparently very bad at or that I tried to do at the wrong time. All right, so... Let's move into routine compulsions. And I think every single person has some routine-related compulsions. That can be as simple as taking the same route to work every day, going to the same grocery store, or going into public bathrooms if it's one that you go into a lot. You always want the same stall. When I go to the locker room at the gym, I always want the same locker. And I get really offended if somebody else has taken that locker. Same thing with my parking spot. I get really offended if somebody has taken my parking spot. Like, I get mad. If I pull into the gym parking lot and there's somebody in my parking spot, I'm like, motherfucker, that's my spot. That's my spot. Why are you there? I park there every single day. Who are you? You're never here. I'm here every day. Why are you in my spot? This is also a big thing in college classes because, of course, usually there's no assigned seating. And so because I ended up taking a lot of site classes at some point, this does get talked about that we have this pr propensity to want to sit in the same place or do the same thing over and over. And so you always get at least one or two jackass students that decide to just mess with people and they know that's your seat, but they're going to sit in it just to see what happens because it's a psych class. I think my biggest one about routine, and, and I know this is a big neurodivergent one, autism and ADHD, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, eating the same foods. I cannot pinpoint that it has anything to do with taste texture, the meal being easier or less easier. It's just that is the food I eat. Back when I was eating meat, it was homemade french fries and hot dogs. That is probably not a healthy diet, but I was having that two meals a day every day for like a month before I realized I was just eating the same food every day. So now it's actually unfortunately changed into homemade french fries and a little oat patty made with eggs because I can't have meat. I don't think it's much better, but I feel compelled. I need to eat the same food. And if you try to get me to eat a different food, I get really, really upset, but not for any reason I can specify. Just it's not my food. I think an added thing there, at least it's this way for me, is the more I do that, because I also get into these kicks where I will eat the same food like every single day for a while. And the longer I do it, the more it becomes part of my routine. And then I get it in my head that I can't change my routine. So now, even if I don't want that food, I have to eat that food because it's part of the routine. This is part of my daily ritual. It's weird if I don't do it. I don't know what will happen. Probably nothing. It would be fine. But I have eggs every morning. Therefore, I have to keep eating eggs every morning 
or something about my world will explode. The thing is, though, what's really, really sad is when you get so fed up with that food and then you don't have it anymore and you don't have a new food. That is one of the worst experiences ever because you were eating because you were compelled to eat that food. Now you're no longer compelled to eat that food because it's so gross because you ate it for three years straight and now you have no food you're compelled to eat. That's the worst. That is the worst. And I run into that with other things too. I run into that with music and podcasts. I will listen to nothing but one podcast or one musical artist for a month, two months, three months. And then I get to a point where I have listened to every single song or episode ad nauseum and I can't stand it anymore, but I don't have anything to replace it with. And so for a couple of weeks, I'm just drifting. I want sound, but I can't find one that I like. That transfers from the food over into sounds for me. I think another one that I have that has to do with with routines is I am a super organized person. The inside of my brain is a shit show, but my environment, very organized. I am one of those people that everything has its place, And that thing needs to be in its place or I will lose my fucking mind. A perfect example of this is that I have a hook that I hang my keys on. Every single night, there's a hook in the wall. And I've done this for years. Every place that I've lived, and it's always been the same hook, has to be the same hook. I don't know why. It's another weird thing I have. But I transfer this hook from one place to another every time I move. And every single day when I get home, I hang my keys from that hook. If I forget to do it, or if Calvin borrows my keys and doesn't put them back, sometimes I go into a full-scale panic because I'm like, my keys are gone forever. They have fallen into the void. I will never see them again. I can't drive my car. I'm not going to be able to get in and out of the apartment. My keys are now gone forever. I am, I am stuck. I am eternally stuck here because my keys are not on the hook where they, where they need to be. See, now, I, I'm the exact opposite of Ivy where my mind is extremely organized usually, but my environment is a shit show. But I still have this with very specific objects, but they end up in weird places so I can find them. And I call this the spice cabinet rule. And the reason I call it the spice cabinet rule is because when I was growing up, our house was a shit show and it was often hard to find something. And for whatever reason, the peroxide got put into the kitchen spice cabinet. So this is flour, sugar, cardamom, pepper, your baking supplies, your spices. There was like a whole section of spices. The peroxide was in there. The peroxide did not get moved from that cabinet for like five years when I was in charge of the household because I knew where the peroxide was (laughs) when it was needed. And it's still the same way in the house right now. So the fingernail clippers have their really specific place, but anybody that was looking for them would never think to look there because why, they don't belong there. You should, we, why would you keep them there? Well, it's the spice cabinet rule. I am aware that they are there. They shall stay there for all eternity. You know, I'm, I'm really thankful that Calvin doesn't really care where I put things. Because wherever it is that I've put things, for the most part, he's very good about putting things back. The most challenging relationship that I had when it came to this is there was one person that I that I dated. They would go to the place. They knew where it was. They knew where the thing was. They would grab it. They would use it and then they would just leave it somewhere because they were done with it. So now it's not their problem anymore. They were also neurodivergent. So their thing was, well, I completed the task. I don't need this thing anymore. I will leave it wherever I completed the task. We had so many fights because I'm like, no, you have to put things back. Why is the screwdriver sitting on top of the drying machine? That is not where it belongs. Why is this pot up in a cabinet where there's plates? I don't understand the way your brain works. Put things back where they belong. So I'm very thankful that Calvin does not have that 
because that was one of the hardest things for me. Like it, it would it would cause some issues for me because things things have a place. You're supposed to put them back in there. Now that we beat that one into the ground, let's talk about some safety compulsions. And we're going to start out with caring a lot about other people's safety. Uh, I know this is something that I've heard a lot of moms say over the years. As a mom, you're driving, you got your, your if you if your kid is old enough to sit in the front seat next to you, if you have to slam on your brakes for any reason, that arm shoots out across your child as though that's going to save your child from flying through the windshield. You know your arm's not going to protect them from that. And sometimes it's not even your kid. It becomes so ingrained in you that you could be the woman who's five foot nothing and there could be a you know six foot four, 300 pound dude in the seat next to you. You have to slam on your brakes. Your arm's going to automatically thrust across him to keep him from flying out of the windshield. This apparently Ivy and I share, I don't know if it's a learned or a genetic safety compulsion when it comes to deer. So we were taking a cross country trip. It was a horrible cross country trip. It was when our mom had died. We were coming back through Idaho driving. It's 2 a.m. There are deer everywhere. So I'm going super, super slow as slow as I can trying to get around them. (laughs) All of a sudden, Ivy sees a deer. No, 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 wait, because we had we had a system because it was the middle of the night and we were both exhausted and it was foggy. You had told me because you were driving, you had told me, help me watch out for deer. So I got hypervigilant and I was watching out for deer. And as we were driving in the middle of the night, we come across a herd of deer standing in the road. There were a ton of them. There were like a couple dozen deer standing in the road. Very obvious that there's a herd of deer in the road. We were going just a little bit too fast to stop quickly for those deer. But I had it in my mind that I was supposed to help Autumn watch out for deer. So when we're coming up on these deer, I just start yelling, deer, deer, deer. And then we we did come to a stop. When we stopped, we just barely bumped one of the deer in the butt with the car. And Autumn just turns to me and she goes, yes, I know there's a deer. But I couldn't help myself. I was supposed to be looking out for deer. So I did. I did my job. I did my job. She got upset with me, but I did my job. So... Fast forward a few years later, and this actually just happened a couple weeks ago, because that first incident was like five or six years ago. A couple weeks ago, my boyfriend and I are driving home. There's a deer in the road. Before I can even think or visually process there is a deer in the road, what comes out of my mouth? Deer, 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 deer. And which apparently the appropriate response is for the driver to slow down, not hit the deer, and look at you and calmly be, yes, I see the deer, which is what my boyfriend did as well. So I don't know if this is a human thing. I don't know if this is a genetic learned environment thing. But apparently when you see a deer... Some of us are compelled to just completely repeat the word dear, 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 very intensely and scream it at the driver. Just, you know, it's a compulsion. It happens. Yeah, just chanting deer over and over again, just in case that person didn't see the the, the deer right in the middle of the road. You know, just in case. You got to say it lots of times very loudly right in their ear, for sure. All right, so let's let's talk about things that we do to save ourselves. For me, I, and this is something that does come up for people who are more OCD. I, I don't feel that I am diagnosable in this sense, but... I obsessively 
well, obsessively by my standards, will check to make sure that I've locked the door. Sometimes I will go down to my car, I'll get in my car, I'll drive down the block, and then I'm like, wait, did I did I lock the door? Even though when I lock the door, I jiggle the shit out of that door handle. I try to twist it, I jiggle it, I see if it'll open. I do it every single time. And I've done it so much that now I do it without even thinking. And so if I am not conscious of the fact that I'm doing that, sometimes I will drive away and then have to come back to check and make sure that I lock the door or that I've unplugged my hair straightener or that I didn't leave the oven on. That one, to be fair though, Mom used to get on to me all the time when I was living with her as a teenager because I would leave the oven on every single time. Every single time <laughs> I left the oven on. And then the apartment would get really hot. And she's like, why is it so hot in here? Because I left the oven on for hours. Hours. So I am. I try very hard to be careful about that now. So I'm, I'm always checking to make sure I'm not going to burn my house down or I'm leaving it open to intruders. I think that's a really, really common one. I know I've, I've always had that. To me, it's to the point my dog knows that I'm going to come back to check the door. Because it used to be when I first started leaving for work, because I was working at home and now I have a job in town, I would go to leave and he'd run to the opposite set of windows to see me leave. But now he realizes it doesn't matter yet because I haven't come back the three times necessary to check the door. (laughs) So he stands at the door and watches me go. And then he watches me come back up and check the door. And then he watches me come back up and check the door. And then he watches me come back up and check the door. Then he runs to the window because usually by three times I'm done. (laughs) But he he knows this is going to happen now. You have, at least you have like a set number of times that you do it. Sometimes when I leave the apartment and I'm checking that lock before I leave, if Calvin's still home, because I'll lock the door behind me, even if Calvin's here. Even if he's sitting in the living room, he could easily get up and lock it or probably wouldn't need to worry about it. But I got to lock that door when I leave. And sometimes I will uh, like jiggle that door handle so aggressively that he thinks somehow I like lost my key, just abruptly lost my key. He'll get up and he'll open the door and he'll be like, what are you doing? Are you okay? (laughs) Because I am just, I really want to make sure that door is secure. Not that it matters because if somebody really wanted to break into our apartment, I'm sure just a simple deadlock apartment lock would not actually keep them out. But in my mind, I'm saving the whole world by locking that door very effectively. (laughs) So I I also found that I have to lock the door, at least when I lived in town and I lived in apartments, I also had to lock the door when I was at home. So if I was at home, the door was locked. And I was living with a partner that didn't believe that was a necessary thing. And this is when I love when you have this compulsion that doesn't make sense and people laugh at you and then you get proven right. That's the best thing ever. So I always have the door locked to our apartment. I'm always yelling at my partner, lock the door when you come in. The door needs to be locked. We live in town. You got to lock the door. One day we're sitting there, some next door neighbor kid wanders into our house because all the apartments looked alike. <laughs> they just moved in. He didn't realize it was house. He opened the door, just wandered in, then looked up, realized we were not his parents, and then had to leave. And I was like, see, this is why you people could just walk in here. And I loved it. I love when compulsions are proven right. I just love it. Okay. See, and for me, part of the reason why I have that that obsession with locking the door is that I'm in I'm really into true crime stuff. And I I can't remember which serial killer it was. Maybe it was the vampire of Sacramento. 
Richard Chase. But one of these serial killers, when the cops were interrogating them and asking, like, okay, how do you choose which house that you go into? And the person literally said, well, I just try the doorknob. And if it opens, I take that as a sign that they're the people I'm supposed to kill. I don't remember if it was Richard Chase. It probably wasn't. Some true crime fan is going to like be up my ass about it. But anyway, there was one serial killer that said that. And I learned that when I was like 13 and that has stuck in my head like glue. So anytime I'm here, because sometimes if I'm here, Calvin will leave and he won't lock the door. And I'm like, you have to lock the door. I don't even care if you're just going down to the parking lot to work on your truck. You lock the fucking door behind you. Because if you don't, a serial killer is going to come up these stairs and they're going to try to open the door. And if it opens, they're going to take that as a sign that they're meant to murder me. That's where my brain goes with it. Or people's random children wander in. I'm not really honestly sure which is worse, given that I'm not a kid person. Just saying. Anyways. Um, both okay, both so, are scary. <laughs> both are scary. I, another common one, I think, and I know we hear a lot of kids do this, but I know a lot of adults, you may not want to admit it, but we do this too, is our, our keeping ourselves safe at bedtime. You don't let your feet dangle over the edge you have to be covered by the sheet and it's not about sensory it's about the fact that you know the monsters will get you if your foot dangles over the edge of the bed the monster under the bed is going to grab it the same way with the sheet because everybody knows the sheet is a magical protection (laughs) through which monsters cannot get and if you don't have that well you're going to get gotten and i feel like this is another compulsion a lot of us have is to keep ourselves tucked in even when it's hot because because why? Just because you have to. Because you have to. There's no real reason for it anymore. Yeah, because the monsters will get you. They're, the sheet will protect you, and there is a barrier at the edge of every bed. I never let my arm dangle over the side of the bed, and I am horrified every night that Calvin leaves his feet out from underneath the sheets. How could you do that? And he sleeps really low on the bed, too, so his feet are almost off the bed. Like you, so You're just asking for it. You're just asking for the monster under the bed. To, to pull you under and every time he's like there's nothing under our bed I'm like but there could be and he's like no all of our camping gear is under the bed where would the monster hide there's literally no space under there it doesn't matter there's monsters under the bed he's gonna get eaten someday and i'm gonna be like i told you so and then i'm gonna be really sad that he's gone <laughs> this this i think borders also on um magical thinking because that's partially what it is if we do this it'll keep us safe and so a lot of us have compulsions around around things that are are kind of magical thinking like the idea of avoiding stepping on cracks a lot of us will avoid doing that or we get into um, a tiled area where there's black and white tiles and we only have to walk on the black or the white for whatever reason our mind is like that's what we have to do it's this magical thinking a lot of people don't want to walk under ladders for the same reason my magical thinking one that I, I I guess it's more of a compelled not to do when I got my first pet as an adult, which was a huge thing for me because I have a lot of trauma associated with pets from my childhood and I was in like my 30s. I put the picture of my new happy, cute little lizard as the wallpaper on my cell phone. A week later, my lizard died. From thenceforth, I have never, ever, ever put a picture of anybody I love as the wallpaper on my cell phone, just in case it might kill them. This is magical thinking to its nth degree, but I figure, you know, it's so small. Do I really want to correct it? Do I really need a picture of my dog on my wallpaper so much that I'm willing to risk their life? I'm not. But that's what magical thinking is. If you do this one little thing or you don't do this one little thing, something horrible will be avoided. Yeah, my ridiculous thing I actually got from mom 
And mom had a lot of like really weird magical thinking things. And most of them I didn't pick up, even though I, I knew what they were. Like she she would not use chili powder. She would use chili seasoning, would not use chili powder, because if you use chili powder, somebody close to you will die. I don't know where she got that idea. All of her magical thinking stuff was if you don't do this thing or if you do this thing, somebody will die. It was always about death. But the one that I did pick up from her, and it's annoyed every person I have ever lived with since is that mom had this idea that if she threw away the top of a package, you know, you get one of those packages, it's resealable. So you tear off the top part and you throw it away. And then it's, you know, like a little zipper bag. Mom would not throw away the top. She would just stick it in the bag. I do the same shit. If I have to open something and I have to cut part of it off, if there's like some sort of separation I get one of those plastic boxes where there's the rip thing. You rip it off and you're supposed to throw it away. I can't do it. I have to put it in the box with the food. With those resealable bags, if I tear the top off, I got to stick that top back in the bag with the food. Because if I don't, somebody close to me is going to die. That's what that's what's going on in my head. I am saving lives by sticking the top back into the bag of food. And I have annoyed the living shit out of everybody that I have ever lived with. Cause they're like, why are you too lazy to throw it away? I'm like, don't you dare throw that away. Cause if you throw that away, somebody's going to die. <laughs> and then they, some of them have taken it, taken it as a threat at first. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't mean it like that. I mean, <laughs> if you throw it away, the universe will decide that somebody has to die. I'm not going to kill you if you throw it away, but the universe will kill somebody if that gets thrown away. And I know it's stupid and I know it's not protecting anybody. And there's been a few times when I did try to throw it away, toss it into the recycling. I'm like, see, I'm capable of doing it. And then I would go back later and I'd get it from the recycling and I'd keep it. I wouldn't put it back in with the food because I'm like, I can't do that because now it's been in the recycling. And so it's kind of gross. But I, I, I keep it until it's time to throw the entire bag away. And then I'll put it back in the bag and then I'll throw it away. So I've just stopped fighting it. I just I just do it now, whether it's annoying to other people or not. I know it's dumb, but I, I just can't let go of that one. You know, a, a lot of people could write that off as, you know, you guys have anxiety or there may be some OCD in your family. I'll, you know, that's all that is. But uh, my first husband, the most practical man on the planet, he could not be more practical. There is not a more practical person in existence. His, his role model was Spock, for Pete's sake, you know, complete and total logic. Yet he had this thing that if you accidentally stepped on the back of someone's foot, you had to pat them on the back three times. Logical, practical, every other aspect of his life. But if you did not pat him on the back three times, if you stepped on his foot or you didn't let him when he stepped on your foot into the world. <laughs> and sadly, I ended up picking that one up too. But these, it's just everybody deals with these little things where we get it in our head for whatever reason that we have to do this. It's a thing we have to do. I'm going to switch over there from magical thinking and we're going to go into body compulsions. So a lot of us have compulsions around our body. Really common one is picking. And this can get excessive to the point you may actually need treatment. But a lot of us just do this on a small scale. We pick at a hangnail, scabs, pick at our scalp, pick at our skin. I honestly get a little bit carried away, usually with my anxiety. Once my anxiety rises, I feel super compelled to pick at my, my lips and my scalp really bad. And so that's actually one of the ways I know that I'm getting anxiety is because that compulsion comes with the anxiety and I can be like, oh, 
I am eating my lips. They are bleeding. I must be anxious. A lot of people have this to a much lesser degree. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of body compulsions. The the only one that I have is playing with my hair. And I've mentioned that on the podcast before. I don't remember which episode, but that is a thing I have done according to my mom that I have done pretty much since the time I came out of the womb. Some of her earliest memories of me as an infant were my fingers being in my hair and I'm not doing it as a a self-soothing thing necessarily. I used to think that it was a self-soothing, self-soothing thing, but it really doesn't matter. I'm relaxed and chill. I'm playing with my hair. I'm super stressed out. I'm playing with my hair. Sometimes when I'm stressed out, if I play with my hair, it actually makes me more stressed out. It's just a compulsion that I have. I just can't not play with my hair. I don't know that I have ever gone a single day in my life without playing with my hair. I don't think that I have. I've, I've tried to break myself of the habit before. It's just not important enough to me to do it anymore because it just takes so much conscious effort. I'm just like, fuck it. People don't like it. I guess that's cool. Whatever. Other people have weird things too. I'm not going to feel bad about this. We also, when we were making this list, Autumn and I were talking about like weird shit that dudes seem to be compelled to do. And the, the first one that came to mind for me is for whatever reason, men have this deep burning desire to draw a penis and balls on everything everything they see a flat surface with nothing on it they got to draw a penis and balls it can be on a rock in the middle of the woods it can be on the side of a porta potty calvin has mentioned to me before when he was stationed in iraq all of the porta potties were just covered in drawings of penises all of them same thing with some of the tanks and stuff. They just everybody was drawing a penis and balls on everything. And most recently, this is the most epic one I have ever seen. I went for a walk not long ago, and there was a cul-de-sac that I came up on, and somebody had taken spray paint and drawn a giant penis and balls in this cul-de-sac. It was the size of the cul-de-sac. You know, another thing I've heard that men do, at least some men, is they like to target pee in. I have to say, if I had a penis, I would probably want to target P2, spelling words in the snow or for even little kids, they put the Cheerios in there. So you try to hit them in the toilet. This might be a little bit TMI, but we we have a composting toilet, which means there's no water. You go to the bathroom and then you cover it up with sawdust. Well, obviously, when you go to the bathroom, it's not going to be even. The little toilet paper and poo is going to be taller or not. And my boyfriend has told me he has the compulsion to pee at the little mounds and knock down the toilet paper further if it's sticking up. Calvin actually killed a bush one time by peeing on it too many times. When he would come home at night, he, he had developed this compulsion. It was it was at his parents' house. He had developed this compulsion that when he would come home at night, it would be part of his ritual, he would pee on this bush. He peed on it so many times he killed the bush. And then he had to replace the bush at his parents' house because he, he killed it with his urine. <laughs> There's just something about men and and their penis, whether it's drawing pictures of penises, whether it's using their penis to pee on things, maybe it's just like sticking their penis in random things or wondering if they could stick it in a random thing. I don't know. Men and their penises. I mean, I guess 
I guess women have some some stuff like that too. But I mean, the only one Autumn and I could really think of is that women have seem to have this compulsion. I think we all do it. And I, I even do it and I barely have any boobs. But this desire and this compulsion to sometimes just like grab your boobs and squeeze them for no reason or like grab them and just jiggle them. You just like grab their, their grab both of them and you jiggle one up and one down. I, I don't know. There's just something <laughs> about like grabbing your boobs and moving them around, giving, giving them a little wiggle. I guess there's something satisfying about that because it seems like... Almost all women have that. I know I totally do. Just randomly. There's like nothing sexual or anything about it. You're just, hey, I have boobs. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Like no reason. (laughs) Sometimes if you get really comfortable with a partner, you kind of forget they're there and you just do the things you normally wouldn't do in front of other people, which includes playing with your boobs like that. And you'll grab them and be like, up, down, up, down, up, down. And then you realize (laughs) the partner's looking at you and you're just like, nothing. I'm doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) the thing though is if they catch you in the act of doing it and they give you a weird look you could be like i don't even want to hear it from you because every man i have ever dated at some point in our relationship comes into the room helicoptering his penis and i'm like (laughs) why are you why do you need to show me this and it's not that they're even doing it to me like they would do it even if i wasn't in the room They would helicopter their penis even if I wasn't there. I just happened to be there for the show. So if they want to give me a weird look about grabbing my boobs, I could be like, well, maybe you shouldn't swing your dick around in front of me. Okay, so kind of related to the body, but not exactly, is the idea of health. And I think we have a lot of health compulsions out there. Again, if they go to the extreme, you get into hypochondria and things like that. But Even on the lesser extent of that, all of us, I think, have that tendency to be concerned about little symptoms, to start looking up things on WebMD where it turns out everything is cancer and you're going to die, which is never good. If you don't have hypochondria, check out symptoms enough on WebMD and you will develop it. I'm pretty sure that's how that works. (laughs) Another one that I think a lot of people don't like to admit to, but you know what? I'm just going to own it. Looking at the things that come out of your body. (laughs) So this could be urine, snot, poop. When I go to the bathroom and I poop, I look at my poop. I I try to see if my health is different or if the corn came out and how fast my metabolism is. (laughs) The same way if I blow my nose, especially if I'm sick, I look at that. I'm like, are there things in it? How yellow is it? Does this mean I'm getting better or is that getting worse? But we have this compulsion to look at things that were supposed to be in our body at one point and have now been expelled. Yeah, I I think everybody does have that compulsion. And and I think there's also, you know, I'm going to admit to it because I'm pretty sure everybody has this. But sometimes you're not always looking at it for health reasons. Sometimes you're just genuinely fucking curious because... When you are really sick and you've had a, a sinus infection, you blow your nose, there's something satisfying about about seeing it and being like, you little green fuck. <laughs> You're no longer in me. I have won. There's there's something satisfying about that. I, I've also noticed, this is another trait that I have noticed in every man that I have ever dated, and I don't know what this is about. They can't keep it to themselves. They want to show me too. I, you know, women complain about getting unsolicited dick pics and maybe that's a compulsion men have to, I don't know. But every guy that I've ever dated has had a compulsion to show me his dump. Like he's so <laughs> impressed with it. They're, like he gets so proud of it. He wants to show it to me. And I have had some partners who would send me unsolicited pictures of their poop before they would flush it. And I would have to have a talk with them and be like, don't ever do that again. It's fine if you want to be curious about your poop. I don't want to see it. 
Maybe some people want to see it. I am not one of them. Don't ever send this to me again. Send it to your friends. Send it to your parents if you want. I don't care who you send it to, but don't send it to me. I don't want to see it. You know, it's not a male thing, but one of the things I am worried about as I get older is the compulsion to start sharing things like that. And I say that because, okay, our grandma bus, who we talked about at the beginning episode, and so we'd go visiting, and my grandma and this 80-year-old lady would compare things that they had taken off of their body or clipped off of their body. <laughs> they would save them in little Ziploc bags. Like if you cut off a bunion or an ingrown toenail, or if the doctor had removed a mole, they would ask for it and they would save it in Ziploc baggies. And then during the weekly meeting, they would bring out the Ziploc baggie and show it to one another. And part of me worries that this is an age thing that's going to happen to me. Like I'm just going to reach an age that I'm going to feel compelled to show others the things that have fallen off of or come out of my body. I think there is something to that because I have noticed that a lot of people as they get older, they feel compelled to just start sharing information about their health with random people. It's not always even people that they personally know. Sometimes that's just how they make conversation is telling you about what's going on with their knees and about these weird gallstones they had and asking if you want to see those gallstones because the doctor let them keep them. It's like stuff like that. I I feel like that is a common trait among people who are getting older. And it actually makes me think on the uh, podcast Behind the Bastards, the episodes on Jim Baker, there's a, a section in there where they're talking about how Colonel Sanders, you know, the Kentucky Fried Chicken guy, came on Jim Baker's show, you know, this huge religious television network. And he came on the show to, to share this miracle of him basically not dying of, of colon cancer. And he shared in-depth details about how he was supposed to go in and have some polyps and stuff removed. But before he could go in for the procedure, he, he went to the bathroom and they fell into the toilet. And he told this really in-depth story, all of these things about his body movements, this weird, gross stuff that most people don't really want to know. And he was telling it on national television with a giant bucket of Kentucky fried chicken sitting right there between him and the person that he was talking to. (laughs) I like that. That is the most quintessential old person thing to do ever. That's like a caricature of it. So yeah, I, I think we probably all will do that. I already find myself sharing information with friends of mine that, that 10 years ago, I would not tell a single soul But now I will tell them. Only certain people. But I'm like, sooner or later, it's going to start spreading. I'm just going to start telling everybody. (laughs) I'm just going to start making everybody uncomfortable with my weird stories. Getting a little bit away from the health and body, let's move into sensory driven. So these are things we feel compelled to do around touch or feeling or sight or even sound. I know echolalia. It is a symptom of some mental health diagnoses out there, but I think a lot of us tend to have that compulsion a little bit to mimic sounds. Sometimes I can't control it. Maybe it's because I'm on the spectrum, but sometimes I'll be out and about and a dog will bark. And before I have the ability to stop myself, I bark back. So it's all like, woof, woof. And I'm like, oh shit, that just popped out of my mouth in public. And it wasn't intentional that that happens sometimes to me. I don't know if it happens to other people not on the spectrum, but I do have the tendency to be compelled to mimic noises. I think to a certain degree, everybody has a little bit of that, or at least most people do. But I don't think it's always with every kind of sound. But one thing I have noticed that a ton of people do is if they hear a cat meow, they meow in response. Yes. Specifically meowing. Yeah. It's, it's specifically meowing. 
That is the only sound that seems to be universal that people feel they have to mimic. It's the only one that I mimic. It's the only one that I have noticed. Everybody almost does it. They hear a cat meow, they have to meow in response. Even if it's not the cat meowing, they hear another person meow, they have to meow in response. I don't know what it is about that sound, but apparently it's very compelling to the average person. Even just talking about meowing, I feel compelled to meow and I haven't yet heard one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right? Now I'm compelled to meow. I'm not going to though. I bet some of our listeners are meowing right now and that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now they're definitely going to, because you, you started it. Anyway, I am super sensitive to auditory things, so I don't echo or mimic a whole lot of sounds. But Calvin, he makes sounds constantly. And I feel like there are some people who are compelled to always be making noise. Even if they have nothing to say, they will make noises. Sometimes he will just repeat phrases over and over again, he has nothing to nothing important to say. Like he has nothing that he really wants me to know. He has nothing even that's like in his mind to rant about, but he'll just repeat things like dogs are bad, even though he doesn't believe that. He'll just say it over and over again. And then sometimes it's just noises. And some of his noises, I don't care. He makes this one sound that irritates me so much. And he loves to do it when I'm trapped in a car with him and I can't get away from him. And he he refers to it as his raptor sound, where he makes dinosaur sounds. And it's so loud and it's so abrasive. And he he sees me getting agitated and it's like a little kid just has to keep poking at it. That is that's almost causing brawls between us where I'm like, if you make that sound one more time, I am going to muzzle you. Stop doing that in the car. Do it in the bathroom. You can do it while you're taking a dump. That's cool. I'm separated enough from you at that point. Don't do it when you're right next to my head. But he always has me making some kind of sound, which is an odd thing to me because I don't have that at all. (laughs) I will admit, I do feel compelled to make certain noises. So maybe it is a spectrum thing. I'm not sure. One of my worst. So I'm not the pokey kind of person to see what will upset somebody. But I do have one I cannot resist. There's a song by Lords called Royals. And in the chorus, she says, and baby, I'll rule, I'll rule, I'll rule, I'll rule. It sounds like howling to me. And I cannot howl. So every time I hear that song, that part comes and I'm all like, it doesn't matter where it is. And my boyfriend, of course, I mean, he's not ashamed of me, but it's a little disconcerting when your partner is howling as you're wandering around the grocery store. And so he's gotten to the point that if we're in a grocery store, or a department store, and that song comes on, he automatically falls back about five to 10 steps to separate himself from me because he knows I'm going to <laughs> at some point. This is not one that we had on our list, but I think a lot of people have this compulsion. So if you're, if you're listening to a song and you don't know what's actually being said, a lot of people come up with a ridiculous thing that it sounds like, and that gets stuck in their head. And even once they know what the actual words are, it doesn't matter. They're always going to have that replacement. They will never actually use the real words there. They will find a ridiculous replacement and just run with it forever. Hand in hand with that, though, and I think this is everybody, because I've seen a lot of people not on the spectrum do this, to mimic certain musical sounds in a song. Uh, One of the most famous ones is Caroline by Neil Diamond. If that comes on and everybody's singing along, 
everybody in the bar (laughs) yeah there and there are some songs that will just universally get everybody to sing even if they don't like that song i don't like that song but if i'm in a bar and it comes on and everybody starts singing it i can't not and i'm like i hate myself while i'm doing this i don't enjoy this song at all but it's there and it's it's part of the the moment i i don't know maybe it's because i grew up watching so many musicals and I just, I like the idea of an entire group of people bursting into song. Maybe that's what it is, but I don't know, because it seems like a lot of people do that. I will say one of my crowning achievements in life was when I worked at the jail. I worked in the booking department, so it's me and mostly a bunch of other dudes. I got the song Build Me Up Buttercup stuck in my head, and I started singing it. And within about 15 minutes, I had the entire booking crew singing build me up buttercups you got a bunch of these big dudes in uniform singing build me up buttercup on the booking room floor like this has got to be the most surreal fucking experience for all of these inmates who were trying to call somebody to get someone to come pay their bond (laughs) (laughs) but it's one of the crowning achievements of my life because that is the closest i will probably ever get to a moment in a musical but I made it happen. I am God now. I think another um, audio aside, other sensory compulsion really common is to touch things. Uh, Sometimes it's soft things or really furry things. I honestly have a I have a compulsion to test pokey things. I know they're going to be pokey, but if I see a cactus or a thistle, part of my head is screaming, touch it, touch it. I, I don't want to be poked, but it's it's telling me I have to be. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people have that. I have that to a certain degree too, and it it makes me worry about myself. It's like I thought I was supposed to have self preservation. I don't think I should go impaling myself on cactuses. But if I see something that's really pokey, I'm like I need I want to I want to jab at that. I, I, I want to poke it. I want to see how sharp it is. I want to see if it really is going to hurt. It's the same thing. I, I have like that also that compulsion with hot things. I know it's going to it's going to be hot. I know it's going to burn the shit out of me, but part of me really really wants to touch it. Really wants to touch it and just destroy myself with it. I I I don't do it, but god, I really want to sometimes. But on like the softer fluffier side of things, I definitely have a compulsion to touch anything that looks like it's really soft. I don't care. If it looks like it's really soft, it's really hard for me not to touch it. It can even be somebody's hair, some stranger I don't know. And I'm like, oh my God, it just looks so springy and awesome. And I want to touch it. I want to see if it's soft. I don't know. I just, I I need to feel it. Sometimes it's their clothes. I'm like, I just want to touch that because they'll they'll have the uh, fluffy, poofy shoulder things. And I'm just like, I want to, I want to poke their shoulder thing. It just looks so (laughs) fluffy and fun. Or if I'm in a store with somebody and I pass a stuffed animal that looks particularly adorable and soft, I have a compulsion to pick up that, that stuffed animal and make the stuffed animal kiss the person that I'm with. So I like pick it up and I'm like, the puppy wants to kiss you. And so I'm like burying it into their face and their side of the neck. But I'm like, I need to. It's so soft. It's so soft and it wants to love you. Let it love you. This has nothing to me. It, it, it has nothing to do with me. This thing just wants to love you. This completely inanimate object wants to love you. I have to be careful with soft things. And because I do have a lot of sensory issues, I do not have that compulsion because the sensory horror of touching certain soft things far outweighs any compulsion I ever could have had. But I do have a bad compulsion when it comes to animals. And I think this is everybody, maybe not everybody, but a lot of us, you have a dog, really nice stout dog. You want to pat it. 
like it's a watermelon, like it's the hull of a ship, like you're testing for ripeness or buoyancy, just like pat, pat, pat. <laughs> I don't know that the dog wants that, but there it is. And then small animals, small, fuzzy, fluffy animals, kittens, puppies, baby bunnies. I want to rub them on my face. I don't know if this is normal or weird. No, that's normal. But when I see a, it is, I just want to yeah, rub it on normal. my face. They see a bunny and I'm like, rub it on my face. I don't because I don't want to terrorize it, but I really want to. I, I will say that even some of the completely normative people that I know, or as close to normative as, as I have gotten anyway, want to do that. They see a soft, cute little creature, they want to rub it on their face. I think that's just something that's human. I don't even think that's a neurodivergence thing. I think it's just people see cute little soft things and they want to rub it on their face. It just seems to be a thing everybody's into. You know, out of all the compulsions, a lot of them, if I think about it enough, I'd be like, okay, I can kind of get that or genetically that may make sense. Or if you look at the anxiety, this would come in and I can explain a lot of them if I follow them down the rabbit hole. I can't explain that one. So if anybody out there knows why we feel compelled to rub soft animals on our face, <laughs> I would love to know. I really would love to know. Yeah, because it seems to be, it, it doesn't seem to apply to anything that's small and soft and cute. It has to be a living creature. <laughs> There's something about that. It's a baby, it's a kitten, it's a puppy, it's a hamster. It has to be a small, cute, soft, living thing. It cannot be an inanimate object. It's just not as satisfying somehow. So yeah, if anybody has any clues about that, I am also curious to know. Also related to that idea of rubbing fluffy bunnies on your face are troublemaking compulsions. And so these are the compulsions we have to not quite literally let sleeping dogs lie sometimes. So for example, for me, that is the fact to not let sleeping dogs lie. When I see one of my dogs sleeping, I want to wake it up. Not because I want it to be awake, but I, just, I want to cuddle it or boop its nose or touch its paws. And I think a lot of us have this tendency to want to do things that are going to disturb the peace, so to speak. Some people have the compulsion to just want to get naked for no reason or to break out in song or dance. A lot of people also have the impulse to swear in inappropriate places. I don't generally have the compulsion to swear in inappropriate places because I swear so often that I don't really notice when I'm swearing and I don't really care. I know I, I probably should care more, but I don't. Uh, I try not to swear around small children or the elderly, though, mostly because I don't want the parents of the small children to get mad at me for teaching their children cuss words. And I do have some respect for the elderly. Everybody else, I don't I, I don't really care. I probably should. Sorry. I'm kind of an asshole. And along with those asshole traits, even though I am not particularly compelled to swear in inappropriate places, I am compelled to yell or scream at random times just to see if I can startle people. I've never done it but I really, really want to. I also, I guess a lot of my uh, my troublemaking compulsions are, are about irritating other people. I keep it to myself. I have not, I, well, I've done this next thing, but I don't generally do most of these. The thing that I, that I have done that I'm very guilty of doing is asking people very personal questions just because I want to see how they will respond to it. 
it is not unheard of for me to ask a random person that I only casually know, what kind of porn do you watch? Just because I want to see how they're going to respond to it. Or like, when was the last bowel movement that you had? I I just want to see how people will respond to it. I like creating awkward situations for people because I am awkward all the time. And if I'm going to be awkward, I want to make everybody else awkward too. That's my biggest troublemaking one that I do sometimes act on. My favorite one that I don't act on, I try really hard not to, mostly because I I don't want to get kicked out of stores or get arrested for assault. But I desperately want and have for the last few years, I desperately want to throw a potato at somebody in the store, specifically a potato. I got that random compulsion one day in the store and it has stuck with me ever since. And now I have to be very careful when I walk past potatoes in the produce section. If there is any other human in the produce section, I have to use conscious will to not throw a potato (laughs) at them. I just want to see what would happen if I throw a potato at somebody because it's such a random thing. And and it's like a very recognizable thing too. Like I don't want to throw something at them that they might not recognize because maybe not everybody knows what a turnip looks like, but everybody knows what a potato is. And they're going to be like, why is somebody throwing a potato at me? Why is that stranger trying to throw a potato at me? I just want to see what would happen. I, I'm sure you're not going to lug it at it with extreme force. But in my mind, this is what I see. I see you like throwing it with the most force possible and hitting them upside the head, which amuses me to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to cause any concussions. I don't want to do that. But I do want to throw it. And I, in my mind, when I'm fantasizing about throwing potatoes at people, I am aiming for their head. If I did it in reality, I'm sure it would not hit their head because I have terrible aim. But in my fantasies, when I throw potatoes at people, I do hit them in the head with it. I I just, I really want to do it someday. Maybe when I'm old and I can feign being senile or maybe I I will be senile. That's a possibility. There is dementia in our family. So I'm, I might actually have a justifiable reason to do it. But maybe when I'm old, even if I'm not senile, I will act on it just once just it's like a bucket list kind of thing i just want to see what would happen like what would they do especially if i'm an old lady what are you gonna do come at me bro come at me you're not gonna do anything you're not gonna assault an old lady just because she threw a potato at you i don't really feel compelled to to throw large things so much but i do feel compelled to throw small light things like marshmallows especially those large ones like you roast over campfire popcorn i usually can't control that either so if i know you well and i am eating marshmallows or popcorn around you i will probably throw them at you i am compelled to give my garbage to people or anything I'm holding. I, I did that to Ivy for the longest time I had. For it. years. Yes. I would be like, here, you take for now. years. And I still feel so stupid because for years she would just hold things out to me. It wasn't always garbage either. Sometimes it would be, she just pick something up off of a shelf at the store and hold it out in my direction. And I would take it. And I did it for years until she finally explained why she was doing it. I don't know if I asked or if she just told me, but she was like, yeah, I, I hand it out to you because you keep taking it. So I keep handing you things. I'm like, God, fuck. <laughs> so now I do it to other people. And I <laughs> am happy to report that everybody takes it. So you may have a compulsion to hand your garbage to people or hand whatever to people. But people have a compulsion to take whatever you hand them. So I don't feel quite so dumb now because I have tried it on lots of people 
and it has worked on 100% of them. 100% of people have taken it. Humans are compelled to take things from you. I don't know why, but I love doing it. I usually don't do it with strangers because that's just awkward and might lead to an interaction. But people I know, I love just handing them random things. So let's get a little bit more extreme than troublemaking. Let's talk about violence. And I know, I know we're not talking diagnosable. We're not acting on these impulses. But seriously, all of us, I'm pretty sure at some point, have a violent impulse or compulsion of some kind. I mean, for Pete's sake, look at video games. One of the main things you do in video games, smash stuff. I don't care if it's Legos. I don't care if it's Resident Evil. I don't care if it's Halo. Well, maybe not Halo. I've never played Halo. But you bash things. You break urns. You break brick walls. You break bushes. You break whatever. Video games love giving you the ability to run rampant on the urge to destroy shit or and tell me i'm not wrong for my hypersensitive people out there when you hear something that you are super sensitive to do you not have a little bit of a compulsion to want to punch somebody in the face you know when they're chewing too loudly or snoring or you're in an office environment and they're whistling tell me you don't have the compulsion to punch him in the face i have a compulsion to punch calvin in the face every time he makes those raptor sounds not gonna lie that one that one really really gets me yes i think everybody has that and I, i'm not even one of those people that, that has the uh, those violent urges towards people when they're chewing or they're breathing weird i don't generally don't get that but there's something about those raptor noises that's why he likes making them so much i have a lot of self-violent compulsions and i've had them for a long time and it comes out of nowhere i will be totally fine having a great day. Things are awesome. Driving down the road, I see a semi truck. I'm like, my, in my brain, it's like, hey, drive, drive under that semi truck. Let's see what happens. Or I drive over a bridge and I'm terrified of water. I don't know how to swim. I've almost drowned twice. And part of my brain is, is convinced if I fall in a third time, I will die. But I'll drive over a bridge and my brain's like, drive off the bridge. Let's drive the car into the water. <laughs> You won't get out. You'll die. You should do it. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me, brain? Why? Why do you do this? And I used to think I was some weird freak of nature. And then I started hearing other people talk about this. And I was like, oh, okay, it's not just me. It's not just me that has a brain that sometimes wants me to kill myself for no reason at all. And that's that's the thing. It's no reason. It's not when you're suicidal or depressed. You're just going about having a happy, normal day and your brain's like, kill yourself now. <laughs> One of my compulsions that I always used to be so afraid of was heights. When I'd get someplace tall, I'd have the compulsion to want to jump off of it. And so I was terrified of heights because of that. Cause I'm like, I can't trust myself not to jump, but I am happy to report that I cured myself of that because I got the opportunity to go bungee jumping off of a platform. And I thought, oh, this will be easy. I always feel compelled to jump when I get to tall places. And I found out, you know what? No, my genetics, that genetic drive to not leap off of tall buildings, that that is that is very good in me because I got to the top of that bungee jumping platform and my mind and my body just froze and they were like, we're not we're not doing that. Are you a fucking idiot? We're not going to do that. So I, I have less fear about that compulsion now because I know it's not going to happen. My brain's like, oh, we might do this. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're just bullshitting me. That's not going to happen. <laughs> 
I can deal with my brain being like, hey, you should drive under the semi truck or you should drive off that bridge. I can deal with this. I, I've had suicidal ideation before. So those sorts of thoughts are not new to me. And when I'm having a good day and that thought crosses my mind, I'm like, meh, whatever. So I'm not shy about talking about that. But what I will say, and I thought until very recently, again, that I was just this weird freak of nature and a horrible person somewhere inside me. Because there are times when I randomly get that compulsion to do harm to another person for no reason at all or harm to an animal. There were a few times when I had my dog, Henry, and I loved my dog. I would die for that dog. I loved that dog so much. But there'd be times I'd be in the kitchen, I'd be making dinner, I'd have a knife in my hand, and Henry would be all like cute sitting there because he was hoping I would drop something or give him something. And my brain would be like, stab the dog, stab your dog, stab your dog. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And my brain would be like, yeah, you are. Stab your dog. And I have felt so guilty about that for so many years. And I still do. But I did see another person reference those kinds of urges recently on a social media thing and as a a comedy post. And I was like, shit, maybe I'm not the only person that has that. Maybe I'm not the only person that's like stab your dog or drop that baby or whatever. Maybe everybody has that, or at least some people have it. Maybe I'm not the only one and I'm not a complete and total psychopath. I do have that sometimes. Usually mine goes more towards the more mild to hit people. Okay. So this one, I still kind of regret to this day that I didn't follow through. And it has been crikey. It was my early 20s and I'm 40 now. So it's been nearly two decades that I've been carrying this with me and I regret not acting. And I don't know why. I was leaving the grocery store. I had a bag of groceries. It was light. It was like a loaf of bread. There was a pigeon right outside the grocery store, right within reach. And I had this compulsion hit the pigeon with the loaf of bread. Not hard. (laughs) Just hit the pigeon with the loaf of bread. Just do it. And I had to fight myself. And then the pigeon flew off. Two decades later, I'm still like, God, I should have just just bopped it. Just not hard. Just a little boop with the bread on the pigeon bite. Oh, I don't, I'm never going to get the opportunity again. And part of me is a little sad and part of me is a little relieved because what if I did it wrong and I killed the pigeon? Sure. Because some birds are, are very fragile. I, I do think it's funny that you're two decades in and you still have regrets about not booping a pigeon with a loaf of bread. And when you first brought this up to me, I just thought it was funny because your words were hit the pigeon with groceries. But when you phrased it as booping it in the butt with a loaf of bread, (laughs) I suddenly want to do this. I I want to. It doesn't have to be a pigeon. It could be any animal. I just want to boop an animal in the butt with some bread. It can't be a human, though. That would be boring. For some reason, that's boring. (laughs) What I would really love, corgi. I want to boop a corgi butt with a loaf of bread. <laughs> How perfect would that be? They're already kind of a loaf themselves. <laughs> right, now I want to do that. I, I see why this is a regret you have. I feel like you've transferred this regret to me that I can never boop an animal in the butt with a loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, so it does happen. I mean, if it, on all sorts of... Um ends of the spectrum but i think all of us at some point have that compulsion to to get a little violent to some degree i think all of us also have a compulsion to correct or control to some degree so i know a lot of people are bad about correcting 
others. Uh, you tons of grammar Nazis out there. We have discovered a ton of grammar Nazis with our social media uh, evolution. There are other people that want to pick up lint or hair off your clothes. They cannot let it go. I am super, super bad about correcting behavior. I wish I wasn't. This, this is why I am the only one that does any housework in my house. It's not necessarily because my boyfriend won't do it. It's because my boyfriend won't do it right. <laughs> and so when I see somebody doing a task and I know there's a more efficient way, it is so hard for me to control the urge to direct them in how they should be doing the task because it would be more efficient and it would save time if they went through the necessary 43 steps that I have outlined in the SOP in my head to complete this task. So I am very, very bad about correcting tasks to the point I have micromanaged my boyfriend completely out of doing housework. I have no desire or compulsion to correct other people. For anything, really, unless it's directly impacting me. And sometimes even then, I don't have it. Like, that is something I've never understood. I, I use that as one of my facts of the day for a previous episode, that when people spell things wrong or pronounce it wrong, I could not give two shits. Even if they get it wildly wrong. I have met so many people that I'm pretty sure to this day still think my name is Heidi instead of Ivy. It's cool. I'm, I'll be Heidi to you. It's, I just don't care. It doesn't matter enough to me. And I don't like being corrected about shit that doesn't matter. Cause I'm like, there's, there's more important things to be worried about than the fact that I made a typo. Like I, I just don't care enough. So I don't care when other people do it, but what I do feel a need to correct is my environment. I am constantly reorganizing, cleaning, straightening things up, just making everything tidy and organized and neat and almost perfect. Not completely perfect, but almost perfect. I appreciate that Calvin helps with housework and stuff, and I don't correct his behavior. But what I will do, because I know this is my issue and my infatuation with organization and cleanliness, is that he'll clean and then I'll go behind him and do the detail work that's important to me that does not actually matter at all. Because when he cleans like the bathtub or he cleans a, a faucet, he'll clean it. It'll be clean. I don't have to worry about gross germs or viruses or whatever. It's definitely clean but there's water spots. He did not buff the water spots off of the faucet and this will irritate me. I'm not gonna make him do it because that's stupid. I know I'm being stupid. I just like how pretty it looks when there's no water spots. So I'll let him clean. I will thank him. I will be appreciative that he's doing his part and then I will go behind him and take care of the things that he didn't do the way I wanted done. That's how I cope with it. But I do have a need to correct things. It's just my environment. Don't feel the need to correct other people. Do feel the need to correct my environment constantly. Never clean enough. It's fun the couple times we've had to uh, live together as adults. I find it extremely amusing. I'm not necessarily a dirty person, but I'm not organized in any way. I'm not as cleanliness oriented as Ivy. And you can just see her silently trying to not explode and kill me. And I appreciate that you haven't acted on the impulse to kill me because of the messes I create. <laughs> no, it's 
it's not even that I, I feel a need to kill you because I don't care. It's fine. As long as I know where things are at and I can keep track of them to a certain degree, it's fine. But as long as I can generally find things, I'm cool. And if you make a mess, it's fine. Why I look so anxious or why I look so agitated is because I'm waiting for you to move so I can fucking clean up after you. <laughs> That's what it is. And sometimes because I do enjoy cleaning and organizing, there's like a giddiness. It's anticipation sometimes. It's not always that I'm even annoyed and just want you out of the way so I can clean it. Sometimes I'm like, that's going to take some work. <laughs> I just want to do this now. Like, I get excited about it. So, like, oh, that bookcase is awful. I'm going to rearrange all the books by alphabetical order as soon as I get an opportunity. I, what I have to, to be careful of is not going into other people's homes and doing that kind of stuff. When I visit Autumn, I will clean her house, though, because I don't care if it bothers her. I am yeah. just going to do it. And she's my sister. She knows this about me. I won't do it to other people, but Autumn is an exception. I will go in and just start cleaning shit. It is part of why I am mildly afraid of letting Ivy live with me for an extended period of time. Because if I live with her, it's all, you know, whatever, and she can clean up after me. If she lives with me, she's going to start cleaning the house. And at some point, she's going to start reorganizing the house. <laughs> and I know it doesn't appear organized, but again, spice cabinet rule. I know where shit is. And if she moves my peroxide and puts it somewhere like that makes sense, I'm never going to find it. <laughs> Oh yeah, that could turn into a knockdown drag out fight. I'm I'm very <laughs> thankful Calvin does not care where I put things. I'm very thankful because I reorganize things all the time. Bless his heart, never says a word. He just rolls with it. He never asks. He never complains. He just rolls with it. I asked him about that recently because we're house sitting for his parents. And his parents have completely reorganized their house from what he remembers. And he's so mad about it. And I'm like, how is it that you're so angry about not being able to find stuff here because it's in a different place? But when I move stuff, you don't get upset about it. And he's like, because when you move things, it makes sense. What my parents have done makes no fucking sense. Why is the barbecue sauce in a tool cabinet in the garage? And I'm like, that, that actually, I get it now. Because I would never put barbecue sauce in a tool cabinet in the garage. I don't really know what your parents were thinking there. So yeah, you know what they're thinking? They can they can find the barbecue sauce. That's what they're thinking. They know where that barbecue sauce is. Exactly. Yeah, I guess that is what it is. Before they before they left for their trip, Calvin and I went over there for dinner, and I'm just assuming Calvin knows where everything is at because. You know, it's his parents' house. He's over there quite a bit. He used to live with his parents. I'm sure he has a pretty decent idea of where things are. That was my thought process. And so I wasn't asking them any questions prior to house-sitting. Even though we were going to be there for a month, I didn't ask any questions. Because I'm like, oh, Calvin's going to know where everything is at. For a solid 15 minutes shortly before we left, his parents kept showing me where the garbage bags were. Like, over and over. They kept showing me where the garbage bags were. And I thought, okay. That's kind of quirky. I guess I know where the garbage bags are at, even though I'm sure Calvin knows where the garbage bags are at. Three days into our stay there, Calvin starts flipping shit. And I'm like, what's going on? What are you so mad about? He's like, I don't know where the garbage bags are. I was like, I know. I know where the garbage bags are. So on some level, his parents must have anticipated that not finding the garbage bags would lead to a meltdown. I don't know how they knew, 
this is something that's new to me, but his parents were very aware their son would have a meltdown about not being able to find the garbage bags. <laughs> I think when you live with somebody or you know them well enough, you start to know their compulsions and what they need out of life, even if you're not able to always give it to them exactly. Another compulsion a lot of people have is to keep things, not necessarily weird places, just to keep them. Taken to extremes, you to have hoarding. On the minor, you have like I have, which I have now... I think four or five dozen egg cartons because they might be useful for burning or somebody in town who has chickens might want them. <laughs> so now I have four dozen egg cartons and I keep adding to the stack because they might be useful for something. Or I also have four leftover supplement bottles because they're really nice bottles. They're all empty. There's no supplements left in them. They're really nice glass bottles. I might need it someday. I feel like a lot of us tend to hold on to things because of that, especially once you get space to be able to do that. I think a lot of people do that. Um, I don't know how many people do this. I'm assuming I'm not the only one. I can't be the only one that does this. Sometimes I have a hard time getting rid of things because just as I'm about to throw it away, my brain gives this inanimate object a personality and a backstory, and now I can't throw it away because I feel guilty for throwing away this item that has a name and it has a backstory and it has past tragedies and stuff. And I'm, now I'm just discarding it and then I'll get stuck and I can't throw something away for a while until I forget what my brain came up with as a life story for this inanimate object. Can't throw away that shoebox because Steve went through a really hard breakup last year and he's still not over it. And if I throw him away too, he's going to feel extra rejected and he's never going to get back on his feet and he's never going to fall in love again. And this is what my brain does. It's done that since I was a child. And it's not all the time, but when it happens, I'm like, fuck, because then I literally can't throw that thing away for a while. I, I have to because wait until the memory is gone. Because it's a person now. I do that. I yeah. assign I assign the uh, the personalities to things and then I end up keeping them. My stuffed animals from my childhood, I still have a toad of them. They are, oh my God, so out of repair. I mean, eyeballs hanging out by threads, stuffing popping out horrible. I can't throw them away because... You know, that's Big Yellow Bunny. I've had Big Yellow Bunny since I was three. You can't throw away Big Yellow Bunny. <laughs> the only way I've been able to part with any of my stuffed animals from childhood is if I find a child willing to take it. And I still have guilt because I'm like, when that child outgrows it, are they going to throw it away? But then I have to stop myself from doing that and being like, this, this stuffed animal is literally sitting unloved in a tote in a storage closet. Which is worse? Probably worse to just sit there for all eternity in a tote in a storage closet. Should probably just like let this little kid have it who's actually going to enjoy it at least for a time. And then hopefully it'll get passed on to some other small child. Unfortunately, mine are all so bad. Nobody wants them. I mean, they are the stuff of nightmares at this point. Like the little dolls you used to have back in the 80s where you laid them down and their eyes would close. Well, the eyes are all weird. And so they just flutter all the time. Like it's some sort of haunted doll. Like the hair's all matted. Nobody wants these. No, what you do then is you sell it on eBay as a haunted doll. Because there is an entire section on eBay of haunted dolls. So that's what you do. You market it as haunted and then people will want them. That's what you do. But then I, 
I also feel bad for the doll then because now it has the stigma associated with it of like demon or hauntings. And that's not actually what's happening. It's a really sweet doll. And now people are misinterpreting it. (laughs) Another compulsion a lot of people have is finishing things. So, for example, you have to finish all of the food on your plate. I know that's a big one I have. I blame my grandmother for that. <laughs> if you if you put it on your plate yourself, you by God were going to eat it. That was going to happen. That was that was not yeah. like a questionable you're going to be punished. It was just that was reality and it was not going to shift. No, mom had a little bit of that too. If you if you didn't eat it, you were going to eat it for the next meal. Sooner or later, you were going to eat it. So yeah, I have that too, where I have to finish food. If it is on my plate, it has to be eaten. It, it can't go to waste. Sometimes I will palm it off on other people though, because sometimes I'll get too full and I'll just, I'll do that like hand it off trick to Calvin. I'll just hand it to him and he'll eat it. And it's like, this works out perfect because now the food gets finished. I don't have to worry about it. And it's not my problem. Now it's Calvin's problem. Now he gets to be overstuffed and I'll still be fine. It's a dirty trick. I know I'm awful, but you know, it works. (laughs) I think this can even go into other things outside of food. I know I have a compulsion to complete tasks. If I'm in the middle of something and somebody wants me to stop, I have to get to a stopping point. I can't just stop what I'm doing. And even then I'll be really anxious because I was doing a task and now I'm not doing the task and the task is not done. Another one, we have the tendency to want to finish what people are saying. I usually want to finish what people are saying with lyrics. I know some people do movie quotes, but I'm lyrics. So if somebody's like, so tell me what you want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. That's what pops into my head. I don't necessarily, well, sometimes, okay, I will admit, sometimes I sing out loud to people and then they just look at me, but I'm compelled to respond to whatever you're saying with a lyric or to finish what you're saying with a lyric. I will interrupt you to complete the rest of your sentence with the appropriate song. I feel like an asshole all the time because I, and I don't, I'm not even creative. I don't finish with a lyric or a movie quote or anything. I just, and it's not even a compulsion that I consciously feel. It's just a thing that happens. And then I have regret where I just try to finish people's statements and I don't even know why I do it. I'm like, am I impatient? Do I think I know what they mean better than they do? Am I looking to connect by being like, see, I knew what you were thinking. What am I doing? But I'll try to finish people's thoughts. And half the time I finish it with something they were not intending on saying. And then I feel really like an asshole and dumb at the same time. It's it's very hard for me to break myself of that habit because I'm not really aware that I'm doing it until after the damage has already been done. And sometimes it gets really bad. If my anxiety is really bad, I will do it pretty consistently through a conversation. And then after that conversation, I'm like, okay, well, I can never see that person again <laughs> because I am, I am human garbage. And I just treated them in the most horrible way by being like, yeah, yeah, yeah hurry up. Yeah, I already know what you're going to say. And like, I'm wrong half the time, but I don't know. My brain just is like, no, I, I, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. You don't need to waste your energy saying more things. I I usually do pretty good unless somebody's a rambler. And so I struggle with this with my boyfriend and sometimes with you because you guys keep getting distracted. So you're like, the other day, I think it was a Tuesday. So Tuesday, we were in the car and I, no, it was definitely a Wednesday. We were in the car and I was thinking, no, maybe it was a Thursday. And in my mind, I'm like, you were thinking we should move. (laughs) We should break up. We should get an elephant. What were you thinking? I don't care what day it was. 
<laughs> my favorite part about that, and I don't do it intentionally to push her buttons, but I know when I'm rambling because especially at these video calls, I watch her facial expression and her body language change because when I start rambling for too long, her eyes keep getting bigger and bigger in anticipation and she keeps moving closer and closer until I feel like she's going to pounce on me. And then I'm like, okay, I should probably wrap this up or let her wrap it up because I can, she's going to explode. She's going to explode. But that's my favorite part is just watching that change happen and knowing shit's about to hit the fan if I don't stop right now. Part of it is anxiety because I want to know what you're going to say. And part of it is one of those page turners or a thriller movie. I'm just really into what's happening because both of you do the same thing where you don't provide any sort of context or subject for what we're talking about. And we will have been talking about this for three to five minutes. And I have no idea what we're talking about. You're like, and it was really squishy, but I mean, it was kind of square. And I was thinking maybe if we got one from Walmart, and I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about. It's it's so true. And what I did not mention about her her facial expression is that yes, her eyes are getting really big, but her smile's getting really big too. Until it just looks like plastered on, like she's got like G-force winds going. (laughs) She's just in pure anticipation. She wants to know. And then I disappoint her usually because it's actually not that important. Usually in my day-to-day life, I don't tell people a whole lot of anything because I know I'm going to do that. I'm going to ramble on forever and I'm finally going to get to my point and they're going to be disappointed. I'm going to be disappointed and I'm going to be tired because I went on for too long to describe something that should have only taken a couple of sentences. And by the time I get to my point, even if I started out enthusiastic and excited about it, now I'm just like, uh, yeah. Well, well, that's what happened. Doesn't really matter, I guess. <laughs> Every time. Uh, I think that blends right into a lot of the social compulsions we have as well. One of the most common social compulsions we have, at least in this country, is trying to avoid silence or awkward silence or awkward interactions. That's why so many people are compelled to make small talk or they're compelled to crack jokes, even if they seem inappropriate. There is this total fear of silence or having anything awkward and it must be filled. It must be avoided at all costs, even though sometimes the small talk or the jokes just make everything worse, but we still feel compelled to try and fill it. I don't feel compelled to fill anything. Uh, As I stated earlier in my fact of the day, I picked up grandma's trait, which is just to run away from everything. And my go-to, which I have mentioned before, I think in our social anxiety episodes, is go to the bathroom. Anytime things get awkward and it gets too quiet, I'm like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm sure most people, the first couple times they meet me, probably assume I have irritable bowel or something, or just constant (laughs) urinary tract infections. Because that's always my go-to. Well, it's gotten quiet now. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I don't even need to go to the bathroom. I'll go in there. I'll wash my hands. Sometimes I'll just stand in the stall for a little bit, hoping that the person I was talking to has wandered off to talk to somebody else. and I won't have to confront the awkwardness when I get back. That's my compulsion. Just like, "Um, I'm just going to leave now. 
this is this is not fun. I'm just gonna go. I wish I could do that. I if I get stuck in a social interaction, I will try to leave sometimes, but sometimes you can't leave. Or sometimes I feel so stuck that I can't leave, even though I could. I get pressure of speech and I feel like I have to keep talking. And the things I say keep being more and more inappropriate, which creates more and more awkward silence, which makes me want to speak more and more. And at some point, I'm always, like I said in the social anxiety episodes as well, Ivy's is to go to the bathroom. Mine is apparently to talk about the bathroom because at some point... I am going to end up talking about poop. I don't want to, but it's going to happen. And part of that is a compulsion that my mind's all like, say something about shit. Talk about poop. <laughs> poop. It's relatable. But it's also because I have pressure of speech. I feel like, oh, my God, I have to fill this. I have to keep talking. Oh, my God, they're like getting lost and I'm offending them. I need to just keep going. Just keep going. Dig yourself deeper. You'll end up somewhere. <laughs> I guess I didn't really think about that, but it is interesting that both of us, our de facto way of dealing with awkward situations is to make it about bathrooms and bodily movements. That's that's apparently a thing we both do. That's interesting. I don't even know where we got that from because I don't recall anybody else in our family making things about poop. And I don't remember anybody else running away to the bathroom. I don't know. You and I just created this weird thing. Some, I don't know. I feel a little uncomfortable about that now, now that I'm aware of it. Anyway, I think another thing, uh, and I'm going to make a hard segue away from that because I don't know what else to do. And now I feel awkward. Uh, I think another thing that lots of people feel a compulsion to do is to state the fucking obvious. Since most of the U.S. has been going through a massive heat wave this summer, I have noticed even more so than usual that everybody feels compelled to mention how hot it is. I'm guilty of this. Everybody seems to be guilty of this. I can't go anywhere without hearing, oh my God, it's so hot. Yes, we all know it's hot. What would you like us to do about it? We all know it's hot. But I feel like there's lots of people that have that that compulsion to just state the obvious. Oh, I think that's true. And a lot of times also, if somebody has an object, you see somebody in an elevator with golf clubs. Oh, you're going golfing today? Well, they got golf clubs. They're dressed up to go golfing. They have golf cleats. They're leaving the building. Yes. Yes, they're probably going golfing. But it's, it's, it is. You feel compelled to just, that is a thing. Yes. Yes, it is. My my favorite thing that ties into that, once when, when we were growing up, you were a teenager and I think you dyed your hair and we went to a church function. It was like a social function. <laughs> and one of the very nice church ladies came up and she was like, oh, did you dye your hair? And you looked at her completely deadpan and you said, no, I got in a fishing accident. And she was so awkward, and I will remember that forever. That is one of my favorite memories from our childhood. In my defense, my hair is naturally brown. And at that point, I had dyed it fire engine on natural red. And I had been in the church for 15 minutes, and 30 different people had independently asked me, did you dye your hair? And I'm like, what the fuck do you think happened to it? <laughs> Seriously. So at the point she asked, I was done. And I'm just like, woman, 
<laughs> I don't re- I don't recall those other people asking you because in my mind none of the rest of that day existed. It was just this snapshot in time where somebody asked you if you dyed your hair and you told them you got in a fishing accident. That's and you know I used that later on because you you remember when I. I mean, listeners of the podcast won't remember this. If you don't know me, you won't remember this. But I used to have all kinds of crazy colors in my hair, all of these interesting patterns, like unicorn hair. It was, you know, I had teal and bright blue and purple and hot pink, and I had all of these colors in my hair. And people would ask me stupid questions about it. And that's always what I would say is I got into a fishing accident every single time. Anytime somebody asked me a stupid question about it, or they would just make a statement about it. Somebody came up to me one time, a complete stranger looked me in the face and said, your hair looks bizarre. And I said, it's because I got in a fishing accident. (laughs) You know, okay. So I think this goes right into another compulsion that most people have that apparently you and I, and I think a lot of other neurodivergent people do not have. And that compulsion is to provide the correct scripted response to what people say. So I think when people say, hey, did you dye your hair? You're supposed to say, yes, I did. And then comment further on your hair to further the conversation. I believe that is a compulsion that most people have. And I'm not sure if it's because it's us or if it's just a common neurodivergent trait that either we don't know the appropriate response or we think the appropriate response is idiotic. So we just don't give it And I think it kind of goes back to Ivy's compulsion to poke at things and see what she can get people to do in the, well, I'm just going to tell them something completely bizarre and see what happens. See what happens when I go off script. I really hate social scripts. I fucking hate them. I know almost all the time. I know what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to say. I am annoyed that this is being put upon me because most of them are dumb and I don't care about them and they're boring and they don't lead to anything meaningful or important or interesting. So I'm, if I have a compulsion, it's all it all. It is to not do or say what is expected of me in those moments. And people that really push it, it's like a coworker that sees me every day. And every morning they ask me how I'm doing. I might occasionally throw them a bone and be like, yeah, I'm fine. I usually don't ask them how they are because... Again, these social scripts are stupid to me. But if they keep at it for too long, I will start telling them exactly how I'm feeling that day. And after a couple of weeks, they will never ask me again. This was particularly true when my bipolar was at its worst because they would be like, hey, how are you this morning? I'd be like, well, I had to have somebody remove all the knives from my apartment because all I've been able to think about for the three for the past three days is how much I want to stab myself or slice my wrists open. That's how I'm doing today. How are you? It's it gets bad for me. I get really annoyed with it. It's like the uh, the thing I use as a fact for the day a couple of episodes back, where I know I'm expected to make introductions if I'm with somebody and then I run into another person. I know I'm not going to fucking do it. Nine times out of ten, I'm not going to do it. That's dumb to me. They don't care who you are. They're probably never going to see you again. And even if they do, what are you going to do? Build a friendship off of the basis that we that you know the same person? All that stuff's stupid to me. I, I refuse to submit. You know, there's all those, there are two type of people memes out of there. I wonder if that's one of them. There are two type of people, people that feel compelled to follow social scripts and people that compelled to do anything they can to disrupt the social script. 
I think when it comes to that, another thing that ends up happening, and this is in part because I didn't understand the social scripts. And so people would ask me the question and then I would actually respond with an honest answer. And here's the thing about not following the social script. When you actually give somebody an answer, there's a lot of details that go with it. It's not just a simple, I'm fine, three word, four second thing. It's half of a novel. It's a short story at best. And so I found that I would overshare a lot until I figured out that people didn't actually ask to, to get an answer from me. They were just asking as part of the social script. But the problem is, is once you start getting in, they seem confused and you don't know why they're confused. And so you just start explaining more and it snowballs and snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And so it goes from a question of how are you doing today to now, you know, my past 30 years of history because I wasn't aware of how I was supposed to answer. And the more you looked at me confused, the more I felt compelled to tell you. I've definitely had a bad habit of oversharing. I still do. I, it has gotten better. I've gotten a little bit better about that. But one area where I have not gotten better and I'm actively working on it is that anytime I'm running late, which is often because I have no concept of time, I feel like a jerk because I'm making the other person wait. I know it's not cool to do that. And I would be annoyed if somebody did that to me. What I do is instead of being just like, oh, I'm going to be 15 minutes late, I go into, I'm going to be 15 minutes late because I set my alarm for the wrong time. And then I got up and I broke a glass while I was trying to make myself breakfast. But I just feel the need to make excuses for my lateness. And I have to stop myself from doing that. And I have to remind myself, they literally don't care why you're late. They only care that you are late and you should probably work on that. But if you're not going to work on that, at least give them an idea of when you're actually going to show up. Just tell them you're running late and it's probably going to be about this many minutes late and leave it at that. They don't need an explanation. They don't want it. And they're probably not going to buy the story anyway. I think many of us are compelled to cover up our mistakes, whether it's being late or we made a mistake at work or we forgot to do something. I think all of us feel compelled, even to the point of lying sometimes unnecessarily. Mine's usually the opposite where I have to explain why I'm early because I worry so much about time. I arrive places 30 minutes to an hour before I should. And so I'm checking into the doctor's office or the vet office an hour early and I am going into this long rant about why I'm I'm so early and they don't care. It's just inconvenient for them. <laughs> but I think that's true of any mistake we make where we are aware of it and it's a social faux pas. We're like, let me provide you a complete backstory with why so that you'll understand and forgive me because it's kind of my fault, but not actually my fault. If you could just listen to the complexities of my life, please. Also with oversharing though, just comes sharing. When it comes to socialization, a lot of us just want to share things. I think especially with our intimate partners or close friends, a big one is when you have food that you really like or really hate, you want somebody else to taste it. You're like, oh my God, taste this, taste this. Or the same way with smells. If something smells really good or it smells really, really, really horrible, 
you want the other person to smell it. You're like, oh my God, smell this. It smells horrible. It smells like ass. You have to smell this. I'm not sure why we feel compelled to share the horror of this ass smell with somebody else, but we definitely do. (laughs) There is a lot of truth to that. I I think most people have that. I try not to do that, but every once in a while I smell something like that's Oh, that's awful. Babe, come here. Smell this. <laughs> and Calvin will. And then like half the time he's like, I can't smell anything because I spent a year in Iraq and everything just smelled like shit for a year after I came back. And now I can't smell anything at all. And I'm like, you're, you're full of shit. You're so full of shit because there are tons of times when you're like, this smells awful. or This smells great. You should smell this. I'm like, you have a sense of smell. Don't bullshit me. I don't know why he feels compelled to do that. I'm like, don't lie to me. I know you can smell this. Don't try to act all macho like it doesn't affect you. Anyway, what what really bothers me with sharing, because I am a very touch-aversive person, and I have, uh, as Autumn has described, very spiky energy boundaries around me. I don't like it when people want to share touch, especially people I don't know very well. I even get kind of tense when Autumn hugs me because I'm just not a touchy-feely person, which I know is weird considering my profession as a massage therapist. I don't like when people touch me. And there are some people who just have to touch or just have to hug. That bothers me so much. When it's somebody I've just met, no, I don't want you to hug me. We had a five-minute conversation. You are not my friend. Do not get close to me. That drives me insane. There is only one person in my life that I have patience for that with. And it's my boss in Seattle. He's total massage nerd. One of the most genuine human beings I have ever met in my life. He just has to touch. I don't even think he realizes he's doing it most of the time. He's one of those people that just, he walks up behind you. He puts his hand on your shoulder for just a second or always some sort of touch. I don't even think he realizes he does it. He's the only person I'm willing to put up with it from because I'm like, you are one of the few human beings on this planet that still makes me have faith in humankind. Other people, though, I am not shy. I'm like, yeah, please don't hug me. I'm not into that. Please don't touch me. I'm just, just keep your distance. Touch aversive. I have trauma. That's what I always go back to. I have trauma. Don't touch me. I have trauma. When you're going to trigger me, don't touch me. I'm going to have a panic attack and it's going to be your fault. I, I do have to admit, I do have a compulsion to hug people when they're emotional. So sometimes you get these random, I call them like stairwell moments. You don't even really know the person. They may not work in your department or even live on your floor. You never talk to them, but they're in the stairwell crying. And because I have a compulsion to fix things with people, (laughs) which we didn't get into that. That's a whole thing. I have a compulsion to be like, hey, are you doing okay? Is there anything I can talk about with? And something about me, about half the time, people will start explaining things to me and they'll tell me about how their boyfriend broke up with them or their mom's an alcoholic and they're having struggles with something. And they share these things with me and I can't do a lot, but I feel compelled to validate them and to be physically present. And I also feel compelled to touch them. So I've had to be very careful with that because a lot of times if you know you are crying openly in public, probably not emotionally stable. So probably 50-50 whether or not touch is going to set you off. So I've learned to say, are you a hugger? Not can I hug you because then the person has to refuse, which is just rude and mean when they're already struggling. So I say, are you a hugger? And that's just a yes or no about who you are so that I know I can be like, okay, 
you can go compulsion, hug the person, or you can be like, no, shut up, brain. This person doesn't want you touching them. I, I do get the compulsion to make physical contact with people who seem like they are struggling like that if they're having one of those moments. But I'm so awkward with touch that I totally do that macho dude thing, like that uh, that <laughs> macho dad thing where they just kind of pat you on the back, like, you know, like, I'm here for you. That's what I do. I don't want to hug them. It's very rare that I will hug somebody, uh, even if they are struggling, because I'm just so aversive to touch. But I will have the compulsion to do that. I'm like, you are obviously struggling. Touch is a human need. And I'll give them that pat on the back or on their shoulder or on their knee. Just like, I- I'm, I'm here for you. That's that's it. That's that's all I got. Just stuck in my cowboy ways, I guess. <laughs> Uh, so the last bit of uh, compulsions we're going to talk about today, I, I termed them anti-compulsions. We did talk about some things you're compelled not to do, but I feel like these, if they're very core, are the idea of not doing. And all of us have experienced this at some point. You drive in, you park somewhere, and you just feel compelled to not get out of the car. You just want to sit there. You just want to not. Or you're sitting on the couch and you're super comfortable and you have to pee or you need a drink or the dog wants out, but you're so compelled to not move, just not do anything. I think there's a lot of these anti-compulsions that a lot of us have that we're compelled to not do things just as much as we are compelled to do things. The strongest anti-compulsion that I have probably is when people tell me to do something, I want to do the opposite. And I think it it ties into what I was talking about earlier with the social pressures and the scripts, which is weird because at base, I am still very much a rule follower. But somehow when somebody tells me I have to do something or I feel an intense amount of pressure to do something, my compulsion is to go the opposite direction. If you just tell me what the rules are, I'd be like, oh, yes, I must follow those rules. I will follow those rules to death. But if you're like, no, these are the rules and you have to do this. No, I don't. I remember when we were kids and I think I I told Autumn that she had to do something because I was just being bratty. And Autumn said, I don't have to do anything but die and exist. And that's stuck in my head. (laughs) So now when people are like, you have to do this, in my head, my immediate response is, I don't have to do anything but die and exist. And sometimes that escapes my mouth before I can stop it. (laughs) But it's fine usually because I'm not going to do the thing that they told me to do because they put too much pressure behind it. If you just told me what the rules were and left it there, I'd be I would be on that shit. I would follow those rules to a T. But as soon as you put that pressure on, nope, fuck you. I'm not doing that. You can't make me. I don't have to do anything but die and exist. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm one of the most agreeable rule following people ever. But as soon as you get in my face and tell me what to do, even if it's in my best interests, I feel compelled to do the opposite. Like if I'm standing in the street and a bus is about to come and you're like, get out of the street, you're going to get hit. There's part of me. It's like, don't fucking tell me what to do, bitch. <laughs> yeah. As stupid as it is. But yeah, that's definitely I think another one I have. And I think this kind of goes to the societal pressure to some degree is to not do stuff that other people are doing. And I know Ivy does this too. This is why she hasn't read Harry Potter. This is why I didn't read the Boxcar Children or Babysitter's Babysitter's Club because 
everybody's reading them and you just had to read them because they're the best books ever. And so I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I didn't carry a purse for decades because every woman carried a purse. I never wore makeup because every woman wore makeup and I was going to be different. And so if everybody does something, I so feel compelled to not do it. Even if they don't tell me, I'm just like, if there's a hundred people and 99 of them are doing this thing, I'm not going to do that then. I, I definitely have that. For me, it is a little bit more dependent on how much they're trying to push it on me. The more that you emphasize that I have to do this because I love it so much, you are guaranteeing I'm going to fucking hate it every time. That's the, why I am pop culture illiterate because people get into these trends and these fads. I'm like, you have to do this. No, I don't. But everybody else is doing it. I don't care. But everybody loves it. They're stupid then. And that's, that is always my immediate response. And the more that you push it, the more I don't want to do th- that thing. The more resentful I become of that thing. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty good for today. I know there are a ton of compulsions we did not touch. Like Ivy said, we had so much content. We were cutting things out of here. If, if you have any compulsions that we talked about today that you related to, reach out to us. We would love to hear about them. If we missed some... Tell us about those two. Uh, contact us either through social media or our website. Ivy, if you want to throw them our connecty bits. Yeah, we are at www.differentfunctional.com. I almost skipped a W there. Uh, we are at differentfunctional at gmail.com if you want to email us. We are on Facebook as Different Functional. We are on Instagram and TikTok as Different underscore Functional. We are on Patreon as Different Functional. I think that's all the ways that you can contact us because I am not giving you my mailing address or my phone number. So I think that's all the ways you can contact us. (laughs) I think that's fair. And don't forget, we do have the Grandma Puss Prize contest currently going. The submission deadline for that is October 15th. Submit your episode topic ideas. We want to hear what you want to hear on our different functional podcasts. You can send those to us through social media or through our website. And if you do that, you will be entered into a drawing to potentially win the Grandma Bus Prize, which is a random pre-owned object. So definitely send that in because there is nothing as exciting as not knowing what you're going to get in the mail. I agree with that. I think that's why people get those, uh, the mystery bags at the dollar store. You know, it's going to be full of cheap shit. You're never going to use, but you don't know what's in the bag. And so you want it. It's kind of like that. It's, it's It's totally like that. We'll send you something awesome and awkward and something that probably makes no sense and that you will have no context for, and it will be magic. So you should definitely submit those topic ideas. And uh, as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, we still need the exposure, get our name out there. So if you can subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, leave a comment, tell your friends about us, tell your enemies about us, tell your dog about us. I don't care as long as we start getting more listeners. We are golden. So if you don't care about the Grab a Bus Prize and if you don't want to contribute or you can't contribute on Patreon, that's cool. But if you could at least get our name out there, that'd be sweet. We would be super appreciative of that. And we are super, super duper appreciative that you are listening right now and that you made it all the way to the end. 
We appreciate you. We do appreciate you. And as always, remember, different does not mean defective. Defective.